just regard you right now, your glory, your beauty, your worth, your love that never fails, your loving kindnesses that never cease towards us, your mercies are new every morning, your loving kindness never ceases towards us, and we just sit at your feet right now, nothing to do, nowhere to go, Lord, there's no better place to be. I ask you to mark our hearts. I ask you to get a hold of my heart. Lord, you never let us go. And I ask you to get a hold of our hearts deeper still to this place, Lord, at your feet. just cease striving and know that you are God. We cease from striving and we know the Lord right now. Just know him right now. Know him. Behold him. Lord, we behold you. Your presence. Yeah, so I've just been speaking out of just yeah, where my own heart and life is at. And uh, you know, it, it sounds like some of it's for us, for all of us, and um, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, it's been some months now, and, you know, I've been crying out to the Lord, and it's like he's answering it right now, but he's just messing me up, and it's of necessity to be messed up, and to be dealt with by the Lord in deeper ways, deeper levels, and um you know, I've just been in some striking passages of Scripture, and I know them all. I can preach them, pray them, explain them, connect the dots, and uh, agree <laughs> and give assent to it. And it's God's just been humbling me that, you know, yeah, you, you got a little gripping in you and some conviction, and you can connect the dots, and you know it all, and you've even sought for it and prayed for it and walked in some of it, but you know what, Joseph? There's a whole lot more. There's a long ways to go. Come follow me. <laughs> that kind of stuff is what I'm hearing in my life. And, um, you know, in my earlier years of Christianity, 22 years now, I used to read Jesus' words to Laodicea and just shrink away from it, quite frankly, because I didn't understand his nature. I didn't understand the one speaking to that church. I, I misunderstood him. I misperceived his heart, his nature, the tone of voice, his, his inner attitude in speaking to their condition. And so I sought to get out of that condition by works of flesh, <laughs> right, and going through Christian motions the intense things that even we're doing right now, but with a different spirit, right? Fasting and praying. And it's kind of like uh, the scripture says how the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? 
right? And at that time, they were fasting under law. And they were seeking to know God under law, in the flesh, striving, works, sweat, the sweat of man, right? The vanities of self-righteousness and um, all of your own strength and exertions and thinking that it's going to amount to anything before God. And he says, you don't get it. He says, in modern language, he says, hey, you and the Pharisees, right? You're fasting in the flesh. You're praying in the flesh. You're seeking for God in the flesh. And Jesus was going to cause people to be born again and brought into the spirit. And in particular, into love for God, not just striving to know God, groping after God, as the scripture says, trying to find God of themselves in their own. And Jesus says, they're not going to fast right now because I'm among them. But when I'm taken away from them, they're going to fast. In other words, they're going to fast for different reasons than you're fasting right now. And they will not fast under law or in the flesh. They will fast by the spirit, by the grace and power of God, and by love for me. Because they will miss me when I'm gone. That's a serious reality. Wow. They will fast and pray because they want him to return. Not out of Christian duty or diligence or Christian disciplines. <laughs> he says, they're going to fast because they want me back here. That's intense. But I, I remember reading this and just saying, holy smoke, like, yikes. But I feel like just to, this was uh, my final point, but I'm going to start with it today. This is the Jesus even among us this morning, you know, the lover, the God who is jealous because of love, because of perfect love. His love is flawless for you and me. And that's why we don't need to shrink away that he sees everything and he sees my current condition and he sees any vestige of this church in me. And he has the same thing to say to that vestige in me that he had to say to it in them. <laughs> He's the same one standing before me in this season of my life with eyes like a flame of fire. And it's not the fires of hell, the fires of judgment, condemnation. You better watch out. You better get your act together. You better cross your T's and dot your I's. You better get your ducks in a row. You better shape up or ship out. That's how I used to hear this. Man, he's messing me up. He is a lover. He loves me. And he doesn't love me any less or more today or tomorrow. His love has always been the same for you and me. And because of that love for me, he will talk to me on this level to connect me to that love and get me out of the condition that maybe I've strayed from in places and get me back into proper position, proper, healthy, spiritual condition. <laughs> right? And, you know, we're charismatics here. We're prophetic, and we feel God, and we're open to feeling God, and, you know, getting encountered and all messed up, and it's awesome. We'll always do that. But, man, it even has to go deeper than that. It has to go deeper than that. And I shared just a little, but... I think God is doing, he's doing this in me. If he's doing it in you, if he's not, he will do it on 
multiple times throughout the rest of your life because this is who he is and what he does. And he so loves us and has called us so high that the apostles say things like, hey, Joseph, walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of the kingdom. And we think if we don't uh, do drugs, get drunk, and live in immorality, that we're good and we can check it off. And God says it goes way deeper than drugs, drunkenness, and immorality. I'm talking about attitudes, appetites, thought systems that live in your mind that aren't even outrightly sinful, but they're not connected to reality in the future, and they're causing you to live mistaken in measure. In if I could name this church in my digging into this time and time again throughout life, I would name the church of Laodicea, sure, it's the lukewarm church, but they're the mistaken church. They are entirely mistaken about their current spiritual condition. And so Jesus comes as the lover to awaken them to desire because without desire and without intimacy and without get, getting connected to that fire in his eyes, all of their strivings to shape up don't work. And they're a filthy garment before Jesus. He says, if I just came to you and said, hey, shape up and, or ship out, and you get your act together and stand before God, he doesn't speak that way because that's works, and it doesn't work. And it's a filthy garment. He says, but let me come to you with eyes blazing like a fire, and let me get that fire in your heart so that it moves you from the inside out and so that you feel confident and intimate as I show you your current spiritual condition in where you're mistaken, in where you're lacking, so that you're comfortable there in that and not uh, feeling condemned or ashamed or shrinking away from me, but rather drawing near to me because you know it's love. Right? Because it's kindness that leads to repentance. Right? God righteously judges our lives, but it's not the judgment we typically think of. He assesses my life because he's the righteous judge, and he calls me deeper because he's the great bridegroom. He says, I see your true condition. I see the intricacies of where you're at and where you're not. And I'm going to show you to alert you some, yes, and to sober you, yes, and to convict you, yes. But stay looking in my eyes. Understand what's in my heart. It's a blazing fire. I love you. And I want you connected. I need this fire in your heart on a deeper level. I can't have you cold, lukewarm. I need you hot in this hour of church history. This God, Jesus will marry a bride. Jesus isn't going to marry a bored church. An indifferent church. Like, yeah, maybe, I guess, the Bible says so, but on to the next verse. No, no. He's going to get us so interested at what's in his heart and what his day looks like that it moves us now to get connected to it whether we see it or not. Every church age was required to live this way. Make no mistake about that. That's why I scratch my head and say, why the heck did you tell the disciples about the days that are coming, like that are still not even fully being revealed at this moment, but they're, they're happening for sure. The red letters are happening Why'd you tell them? Because he understands how the heart works and that that day moves the heart like no other day because it's his day. Because it's Jesus' day. It's his day of destiny. 
I have a scroll. In Psalm 139, I have a destiny. In Revelation 5, he has a scroll. He has a destiny. That's serious stuff. And I'm starting to think this way on a, gr- on a deeper level and being humbled by it, how much I don't know. <laughs> how much more I need to know and understand to walk worthy of my calling. It's not do-gooder Christianity. It's lovesick. It's, oh, my God, I love you. I'll pay any price to walk with you. Even if it means being alerted like Peter. Peter thought he was in love and would, Lord, I'll follow you unto death. And Jesus didn't say it, but you know we thought it. No, you won't. Not yet, but you will. And I'm going to get you in touch with your true condition and where you lack and how mistaken you are. And I'm going to take you beyond lukewarm, Peter, and make you hot and make you an apostolic rock that helps forge and found the body of my people. And it will be told about Peter. It will be done right for the right reasons, (laughs) for love's sake. Serious stuff. I'm preaching intense because I'm hearing it intense. I'm not angry. I'm just provoked. (laughs) Oh, man, he's messing me up. So Jesus comes to this church. We've read it a million times. You all know. He stands, says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Right? And that knocking is his, his voice speaking to your heart. Joseph whole lot further to go come follow me there's more there's a whole lot more there's more i don't want to leave you mistaken i'm not leaving you where you are i'm going to get a hold of your heart as wesley was saying earlier you can't contrive what he's after in this church laodicea you can't contrive a hot heart you can't you know you've tried because i have too it doesn't work. He won't allow it to work because then you could glory in it. Then you could have self, unhealthy self-confidence. You'll boast. You'll be an echoing little boast in your heart. And he says, no man will boast before me except in my cross. No man will boast before me. So he humbles us to allow grace to work this reality in us. So he's doing this. If he's talking to you or maybe, again, if he's not right now, he will. And when he does, come on, let's go deeper. Let's respond. Let's be responsive. Let's not be so assured of our spirituality. I've been telling you guys, man, it's like I'm such an American Christian. I really am. I, and without even wanting to be and knowing that that's got to be sifted, there's still uh, – Pieces of that living in me, right? And it's being sifted from me. Lest I forfeit what the Lord has for me to serve him in. Right? Because, and that's that's the thing is, you know, as charismatic and open to the move of God and the things of the spirit, all of that charisma can, if, if we're not humble and we're not really seeking him and staying before him that charisma can really veil us it it, it's it of itself can be a little bit delusional at times and cause us to really 
judge ourselves improperly and think we are where we're not. You know, and I, I, that's part of where I'm at in this season is, man, I thought all this meant I was there, and the Lord's like, no, like, you're really like here. <laughs> so I'll take you there, but you can't get there of yourself. So I got to talk to you so that your heart consents to walk there with me. And you boast in me along the way. I want to look at Luke chapter 10. I want to look at a few passages of scripture. Luke chapter 10. Because here's the answer. I want to look at this thing. What's, how, how, how do you allow the Lord? What, what's the answer to lukewarm Christianity? Because it exists. It's prevalent in the earth. It's prevalent in our nation. But God's doing something about it. It's amazing. I'm encouraged. He's doing something in me about it. He's doing something about it in me. He's dealing with it in me. He's dealing with it in many. And he's going to continue to do so because he's worthy of a bride with fire in her heart. He's worthy of a church that wants him. Doesn't just need him. Wants, prefers. And that's the difference, I believe, Jesus was saying to John's disciples and the Pharisees and his own disciples. He says, they will fast because they want, they'll want it, not because they need to, or because they should, or because they're do-gooders. They will do it because they want more of me. It'll be born of love. That's serious stuff. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Profound story. This story's messing me up. Fresh. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Here's where true discipleship begins. Are you ready? It's not in the classroom. It's at the feet of Jesus. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Wow. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. This story is endless in its application. Let me tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying, don't serve God, don't disciple people, don't build my church, just sit at my feet. Let me make that loud and clear. Because you know what's funny? Oh, did I think that way for a season of my life. <laughs> and I thought that was just all the Lord had for me ever to do was this Mary thing, and there's some, Simeon and Anna were some, but the far greater majority, it ain't the case. The feet of Jesus will lead to you putting your feet to service, <laughs> right? Me sitting at his feet will get his feet in my feet, and he's going to walk in my feet, right? But anything I put my feet or my hands to must be born of love, because anything I do without intimacy is vanity. Anything Joseph does for Jesus without intimacy 
is vanity. And the scary part is you can do a lot for Jesus without intimacy. Laodicea, Ephesus. Ephesus especially, right? Ephesus says, hey, Jesus, look at our ministry. And Jesus said, hey, Ephesus, look at your heart. He says, your, your ministry is bigger than your heart. Forbid it. And I'm preaching this because this is serious, because this is what's coming. The church will be enlarged greatly. The harvest is the end of the age. Jesus taught so. He says there's a harvest coming. There's so much work to do. And if you don't know the feet of Jesus, he says you will be so easily led into sweating for Jesus in laboring and working without intimacy. He says, it's all vanity. Matthew 7. Lord, did we not build you this grandiose, huge church? Lord, did we not have every program available to strengthen marriages and disciple our children and equip leaders? And he says, yeah, you did. You had no love in it. He says, you never sat at my feet and you never gave time to do so. You never taught people to sit at my feet. You taught them to cross their T's and dot their I's only. You taught them to work for me rather than labor. Because labor is a labor of love, says the apostles. Labor is a labor of love. That's true labor. Love. It's born of love. It's birthed in my spirit. That's why Jesus connects prayer and labor. Because it's birthed. It's born and it evolves and grows deeper still like a season like this i'm in well why is he doing what he's doing because first of all there's more for me to do and i ain't there yet and second of all he needs me at his feet so that it's b what's what's coming ahead of me is born of love that i never start ministering out of flesh that i stay at his feet and that my ministry never becomes vanity right i i've thought about this for years Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, they're right next to each other. And I'm, I've preached this to myself, that those are the bookends of my life. Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, my life is right between this tension of both. And, man, this messes me up. The first verse in Ecclesiastes and the first verse of Song of Solomon. Right? They're polar opposites. The first verse in Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanities, or the last verse, whatever, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity, right? First verse, Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. Wow. See, all is vanity without intimacy. My whole life is Ecclesiastes if I ain't got the SOS thing. If I don't understand that I am responsible to know Jesus beyond ministry, even miracles, signs, and wonders in Matthew 7, they were responsible to know Jesus. And they forsook that place for ministry. And you can say, we can argue our way around all these intense Bible verses. But do you know what 2 Corinthians says? It says, hey, Here's what apostolic ministry does. We tear down arguments to face the facts, to face the truth and feel the reality, the sting at times. 
on the inside and we don't protect people from the Bible, we'll be found accountable. We have to bring people to Jesus. Here's why you do what you do. And if you don't have that, you must get that. Because when you stand before him and say, I never knew you, right? And there's people who will stand before him, he'll say that to them. I never even knew you like um, Adam knew Eve intimately. Like you weren't interested in me, but you did a lot of stuff. That's a serious thing. And maybe there's a million interpretations. I'm just looking at it. <laughs> I'm just taking it, red letters. You know? And, and again, I'm not implying anyone's there. I'm saying I don't even want a vestige of it in my life. I'm not saying, well, no, I will say, man, at large, we're Laodicea. Absolutely. In America, we need, we need such an alerting and a sobering over reality. There's a delusion and a mistakenness about our spiritual condition in this nation at large. And, and my toes have been in that at times, maybe ankle deep, maybe knee deep. Granted, we're not swimming in it. That's the middle ground. That's just what he's talking about. No, you're not swimming in it, but you're lukewarm. You're like knee deep, and you still want some. It doesn't mean don't have fun. doesn't mean go, don't go to a wedding. doesn't mean don't drink a glass of wine. doesn't mean don't have a glass of beer if you want one. It means live with a clear conscience, but I'll tell you this, those permissible things will be touched at times, either for seasons or permanently, and you've got to follow. You've got to follow in that. That's the stuff that matters most to Jesus. When he says, yeah, I know you've got all this middle ground to play with, but do you want to play? You've got all this water to wade in, maybe deep, deep Joseph, but what do you want? Do you want those waters or my waters? Do you want the waters of Ezekiel or do you want the waters of this age? You know, again, it's not condemnation or law. It's conscience, appetite, attitude. Where am I at? What do I want? I'm wrestling through all this. I want to walk worthy of my calling on a greater, way greater degree and all fronts. And I'm so weak. But he's messing me up with love, love alone, just kindness, just love, just encountering me, weeping in my car, <laughs> my office, throughout the day, just groaning over God. Wow, you're not leaving me where I was. You're answering the prayer I prayed months and months and months back. It's happening like right now. Whoa, that's amazing. Like, man, we don't want to come to a standstill in this thing. I want to be moved and propelled into the future. God, and I can't get there alone. But he's, ta he's moving the heart. And it's always typically steady and slow. Like he gets boom, a couple of those here and there. But then it's just day by day. It's just slow but steady. Grace. And it's leaven. And it leavens and works its way and changes you. And all of a sudden, you're thinking a little different, feeling a little different, hungering for something a little different or more, and it's all good, right? Grace. Don't mistake what I'm saying as... <laughs> so, again, Jesus isn't saying, 
don't serve God, don't disciple people, don't build churches, uh, don't labor your life away from him. He's saying, <laughs> don't lose my sheep. Don't lose his sheep, Joseph. Martha said, get her out of your feet, get her in the sink. He said, no, because I'm actually preparing her to do what you're doing right now, only with a right heart for the right reasons and for the long haul, Martha. Come on, Martha. And that's what I'm hearing. Joseph, I want you doing what you do for me for the right reasons and for the long haul. And you never do it for the right reasons or the long haul. You're doing the Martha thing wrong, right? Because you can. Interesting that Martha is the one that invited Jesus in, not Mary. Martha said, hey, come over to my house. Luke 7, same thing. Simon, right? The Pharisee. Hey, Jesus, come to my house. And both, that man and woman, both are a picture of of serving Jesus for the wrong reasons. Simon said, hey, Jesus, come to my house. And Mary would have said, hey, Jesus. The emphasis would have been on Jesus. But for Simon and Martha, the emphasis was on them and what they could do for him. And Jesus says, I love it. Love the effort. Love that you want to. I love that you can. What about breaking yourself upon the rock for a moment? <laughs> what about sitting at my feet as a lifestyle so that all of that is for the right reasons and long haul? That's the word right now. This is what's messing me up. It's always got to be both. Turn to Matthew 26 real quick. Matthew 26, verse 6 or 13. Amazing. And, you know, I don't get into all these arguments about, you know, this philosopher and this theologian and this scholar says this. And it's just, wouldn't it be the perfect story that this is the same Mary is all I'm saying. <laughs> So I think this is the same Mary we just read about. There you go. And if it's not, then it's a perfect picture. You put them together. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and this is Luke 7. You read Matthew 26. It is Luke 7. Same story. It's profound. It, I've, been, uh, I've never preached this message, but it's been in me for at least a decade. That that Luke 7, you read Luke 7, get in it, that is a picture of the future days of church history. Where Jesus is coming to the body of his people to purge the Simon from you. And to get the Mary in you. He's going to purge that religious spirit, that pretentious thing, any, any self-seeking in our life. Any following Jesus for the wrong reasons, for the Simon reasons, he's going to get out of us. And here's what he's doing. Jesus is going to raise up lovesick people 
in the midst of the church, right? And they're going to break everything before him in the presence of the Simons. <laughs> and Jesus has something to say to the Simon and me and you. He's not silent. Jesus isn't Santa Claus. Christianity isn't Christmas. That's, a, that's serious. You can take offense at that. Listen, he's not. He's nothing like old St. Nick. He's the Lord. And he's not this flimsy, weak, indifferent, impersonal, unintentional Jesus. It just doesn't really care about things because he loves us anyway. Like, no big deal, I love you. No. He says, Laodicea, real big deal because I love you. Because of love, I do get in your business in the smallest of ways, Joseph. So Jesus is at Simon's house. A woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Wow. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste for this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Can you even believe this story is in the Bible? Seriously. They said, hey, should have sold it and given it to the poor. Makes all the sense in the world according to love. <laughs> for this perfume, yeah. Verse 10, but Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? Same thing with Martha and Mary, like we just led. Why do you bother her? She's at my feet, right? Why are you bothering her? For she has done a good deed to me. Same thing as Mary. Mary chose the good part. This woman did a good deed. For you always have the poor with you. Hear this. But you do not always have me with you. What is... Think with me here. This is so striking to me. And, and, you know, I get its interpretation, right? And you probably do too. But to really think practically about this for a minute and let it really mess you up, shift my whole paradigm. Jesus was saying that when I'm in the house, when I show up, I'm to be regarded you always can minister to them, but you can't always minister to me because I'm not going to be here like this much longer. I'm going to depart at the right hand of the Father. And while I'm among you, I have superiority. That's intense. Again, is he saying don't love the poor, don't care for the poor? No, but he's saying there's a ministry that supersedes ministry to people. It's called ministry to Jesus. And you can say no, the Bible says yes. The Bible says there's a superior ministry among my people. It's called loving me on a heart level. It's called they love me. They don't just welcome me, accept me, want me to move, ask me to do great and glorious things. No, they're like, Jesus, I want to sit at your feet. You're amazing. I'll never be any different than I am today if I don't sit there. Come among us. We want your presence like this morning, right? And we do this here. We practice this. But I'm saying at large, many don't. Either in your personal life or corporate life, 
We don't make room that when he shows up, he has superiority. He's Lord. He is worthy. He's worthy of our ministry, our devotion to him. It's amazing. He says, don't worry. You're going to do greater things than I did. You'll serve the poor and greater. You'll do more. You'll do more than I did for the poor. But right now I'm here. (laughs) It's time to break it all. When I show up, break. Spill. Give everything. Behold me. Don't be Simon, all astute at your table of ministry when I enter the house. (laughs) Simon, Simon is what Jesus said to him. Joseph, Joseph, I don't want any of that in you. Good Lord, I don't want any of it in me. I don't want to be astute and proper and always appropriate. I want to be a lover. I'm tired of trying to be appropriate or correct all the time because I'll never always be correct. (laughs) And I'm open to correction, right? That's why we have to be open to correction because we'll all never be there. That's why we need one another in the body of Christ. Talk to me, right? For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. This woman had revelation of who this man was. He says, she sees who I am. She knows I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. And you don't. And if you do, Simon, you're putting the light under a bushel to save your own and to seek your own and to save your reputation before men like Nicodemus. Self-seeking. Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Will you lose your reputation like this woman, son? Or do you want to look good before men, yet still try to follow me? Are you seeking regard of man, Simon? Or like this woman, are you seeking regard from me? Do you fear man or fear God? Do you want praise from men or praise from the Messiah? That's, there's so much in that story. It's ridiculous. So verse 13, this is profound. Jesus really said this. This is red letters. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Oh my God. Jesus says the gospel has everything to do with his feet. Mary. He says, this is the true and only proper response to my gospel. It's not getting your ducks in a row. It's sitting at my feet and unraveling as a lifestyle. Then your ducks will be in a row automatically because of love. Because of the motive in the heart that's born at my feet, you'll do everything for right reasons and you'll do everything for the long haul, Joseph. He says, I, he says, this is the most appropriate response to the gospel that I'm going to speak in memory of this woman when the gospel is preached wherever it's preached. I will point to Mary as the sign for all followers to come that if you depart from my feet, it's all vanity. This is serious. I hear this. Amazing. I'm saying this 
for a couple of reasons. I believe the Lord's saying this for a couple of reasons. One is the season of church history we're in. The season of church history we're in. It's going to get so much larger in the church, so much busier, so much more need for management, tasks, and we're going to do them all. But listen, I can't depart from his feet to do them. And you can't either. We can't afford that. And I'm just saying, Lord, cause me to be aware as a lifestyle of that place. That I would be there in heart, in spirit, even in body at times. As much as I can, I would abide there. Let my works be born of love. Let my works be the righteous acts of the saints. Let my works be counted among the righteous acts of the saints. Because Matthew 7 works aren't there. Matthew 7 works, right? Lord, Lord, did we not? Those works of those men and women will not be regarded among the righteous acts of the saints. They won't. They already haven't been. He's already made it clear, right? But these works will be regarded. This woman's works, you know whatever this woman did was, was out of love. Like, oh, my goodness, he's worth everything. Oh, my goodness, he's worth everything. She knew. So, amen. Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done, what she has done, she broke her life at the feet before she built a church, a ministry, right? Discipled tons of people. That's not on the list. There's one thing on the list. He says, the vial is on the list. Her whole life contents were smashed at my feet because she saw my words and she loved me. Her heart was in love with me. That's intense. It's in the Bible. Amazing. Amen. I'm just feeling, hey, let's run this race together. Things are going to get busier in this region. I want to hear this word. I'm responding, saying, Jesus, I want to live at your feet on another level. I don't ever want my ministry to be bigger than my heart. I don't ever want my works of service to outdo my intimacy with you. Right? Building on sand. Lord, Lord, did we not? I want to be in love. And I can't do that of myself. So what do we do? We cry out. <laughs> We sit in green chairs. God, help us. Lord, fill us with your presence, your glory. Mess us up any day. But, man, he's here to, you know, love us onward. Love us into higher places of living. Amen. It's all love. Laodicea. He's here. He's preparing our hearts. So, amen. Oh, lots been said already and so much to chew on. <laughs> so good. But this scripture just keeps kept coming to mind as Joseph was speaking in Mark 4. Um, you, we know the parable of the seed and all that Jesus shared about that, about how different seed lands on different soil, etc. And then he in verse 24, Jesus says, this is the Amplified. He's speaking to his disciples after he explains that parable to him, to them, and he said to them, be careful what you're hearing. 
the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. And I kept thinking about that with this reality of Mary and Martha. What are we giving our attention to in the hearing? Uh, the amount of, the measure of uh, time and study, it says here, uh, of thought and study. What are we meditating on throughout our day, throughout our week? Mary was taking time to sit and meditate on what was being said by Jesus. And that will be substantiated, like Joseph was saying. I, it's what uh, Tom said last, uh, last night at the wedding. Our spiritual claims will be substantiated by natural uh, evidence, right? You can't say, I love God and hate your brother. I can't say, I'm sitting at Jesus' feet, and then nothing in my life demonstrates <laughs> the goodness or the truth or that relationship with God. Yeah, how you're living will demonstrate how what your relationship with God is like. And this is the same thing and the opposite of what, uh, what he was just saying. The same thing is, by measure, what measure are you giving to sitting at God's feet, at Jesus' feet, listening, taking thought, meditating on what he's saying, not what I'm thinking, not what others are thinking, but what he's saying, studying that, that's going to produce fruit in your life, in your ministry. Always. Always. Because that's the spiritual principle. By what measure? He's saying to them, be careful what you're hearing. Because by the measure of thought and study you give to it. So what was Martha paying attention to? What was she listening to that didn't substantiate her ministry or what she was doing? He's saying, by what measure you give to this? By thinking, meditating, studying of truth. By that measure, you'll grow in favor, in knowledge, and in my likeness. And more will be given to you. The increase is there, right, from that place. And sometimes we don't realize that, like Joseph was saying, we're looking just for the fruit, so we're just going after fruit. Like, let me do whatever I can to, to have some natural <laughs> evidence of this thing. But the principle is, Jesus is saying, when you sit at my feet and give attention, by what measure you give attention to that, by that measure you will have fruit in your life. So if you're lacking fruit, look to the root. Look to where are you sitting at his feet? What are you giving your thought to? What are you meditating on? Because if it's not, if there's not fruit in your life, in your marriage, in your church, in your ministry, it's directly connected <laughs> to the measure of thought and meditation you're giving at the feet of Jesus because he's good and he wants us to connect there. He's not going to allow us. Thank God he doesn't allow us. And that's something that's been striking me during this fast too is what measure by what measure am I giving to this place of thought and meditation to truth and what he's saying in this hour? To what measure? And, and that's been convicting to me. If I want more, if I want revival, if I want to see salvation and healing and freedom on greater measure, 
then I've got to be giving greater measure of thought and time and study to hearing God's voice because they are co- they're connected deeply. So I just wanted to add that and encourage everybody to, like Joseph has been saying, light's been coming out. This is a word of the Lord for our community. Let God deal with the things of your heart. Let him search you, know you, bring them up. And I want to encourage everyone to really spend that time. Spend time. Give give greater measure of thought and study meditation to truth. And watch what it will bear in your life. Watch what it will bear. Watch what it will do in your transformation personally, in your marriage, in your relationships. It will transform you. This book is life. And we give thought and meditation to it. It will produce life. So, yeah, Jesus, we just thank you so much that you're doing this in us. God, we thank you for this word so timely. God, we receive it. I receive it in my heart. Father, we want more of it. We truly do. And I pray, God, that you would bring each of us individually and us as a family collectively to a place that we give greater and greater measure of time to thought and study of truth, to meditating on what is true and what you've said or what you're speaking, even all these rhema words, these now words that you've been releasing, that we would give measure of thought and study and not just say, oh, that was a good word, God, that, that we would give thought and study to the things that you're speaking, that our hearts would burn for it, Lord, that it would produce fruit in our lives, God, and that we wouldn't pass this season without bearing fruit, without really uh, applying these truths and, and allowing them to go deep inside of us and transform us that we truly order our lives in a different way because of who you are and because of what you're speaking, because of what you're doing, what you're revealing. So I just thank you for grace for that, God. We know you're speaking these words because you want to do it in us. We know you're doing this because you want to do it in us. And you love us so deeply because you know we want it as well. So we thank you for that. I just pray that over every person here and those, the, the half the church that's not here. God, I just pray that something would also grip them this week, Lord, in the same way that you would take us all deeper into these truths. I pray that this last week of the fast, God, that, that something would be just laid hold of in each of us, that we'd have ears to hear what you're saying, with such clarity, God, clear, clear, just clear out our ears, clear out our hearts to hear what you're saying, and that not one would give up too soon, Lord, that we would hear and lay hold of it and be transformed for this new year, for what you have. We love you so much and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.